Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. This is an extra special. This is an extra special episode for me personally. Uh, today's guest is Jane Elliott. And in a minute, I will let her introduce herself because hearing how she describes herself and her work will be really interesting because there's so many things that I could say as well. <laughs> And how this woman has impacted my life and my work. And I am so grateful uh, to her. And and words like grateful don't seem to be grateful enough. Uh, So this is a real honor for me to be able to have this conversation on Communicate Like You Give a Damn. And I have some questions. There's things that she needs to say that she needs to share with us. This will be less of a interview that like um in some other episodes you may be familiar with this is more of like what does jane need to tell us what do we need to hear from jane elliott and i do have some questions but we i also was given some questions from you the podcast audience that of you know your requests of what you'd like to ask her as well so i will be i will be sharing those questions with jane as well so let's get started. Jane Elliott, thank you so, so much for being here on Communicate Like You Give a Damn. And if you read enough, you'll learn things that your teachers don't know. For instance, did you know that the word race came out of France in 1580 to mean a specific group of people? Most people don't know that. Most people look at me like, you're lying about that. No. And somebody said to me yesterday, the lawyer that I'm going to have deal with my will said to me, you know, I, because the t- subject, because he said to me, I, I'm, I'm aware of what you do. I'm aware of your work and I'm in favor of it. And he said, but I just never have understood why anybody would think there's something wrong with skin color. I said, you want to know why? He said, well, you, well, yeah, do you know? Now this has, guy has all kinds of degrees. He's a lawyer. So I told him how black and white came to be. He said, I never knew. I never knew. I said, go home and look up Torquemada. I will. And he wrote it down. I thought, well, you never stop being an educator. Once you stop being an educator, when you meet somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about, it's incumbent upon you to give them just a, just a smarge of education. And he just looked at me like, I said, you want to read a book that tells you how that happened? Well, yeah, you have one. I said, yeah, it's written about me. You want to read a book about me? Well, yeah, I do. I said, I'll bring one into you. So I'm going to take that book into him. But he isn't going to read the whole thing. Because the guy who wrote it puts a lot of context in. He puts everything in context, what was happening at that time, what was happening at this time, how those things came about. So it's a, it's a really educational, it's a really educational book, but it's, you have to be determined to read it. You have to really know that you want to know what the next stage is going to be. It's an interesting book. So I'm going to take that book to that lawyer, because if he even reads the first three chapters, he isn't going to be able to stop. He's going to have to say, oh, God, I wonder what's coming next. And I think he'll read it. And I think, and he'll be, he'll know more than he did when he met me. 
which is what education, what is, which is what educators are supposed to do. Guarantee that the people they are talking to know more when they're done with you than they were when, when they knew when they met you. Mm -hmm. Now I've answered most of your questions. <laughs> oh, oh, the Supreme Court. We got we got to change the name of the Supreme Court to the Sperm Court. Oh, because the color of sperm that is allowed to make children is what's important to the latest additions to the Supreme Court. The three people that Mr. Trump put on the Supreme Court are people who are only interested in increasing the number of white babies in this country and doing what we have to do to keep brown babies from coming here and being born here. And that is terrifying, but that's exactly what he said when he said, we've got to put up a wall. We can't have those brown-skinned people coming in here because brown-skinned people reproduce too rapidly. The wall is to keep those people out, and I've got to find somebody who can call Joe Biden and say, don't continue to build that wall. It just says we don't want you brown-skinned people here. We're in sad shape right now because we need people to work in this country. And because of COVID-19, we are more in need of people to work in this country than we have been for a very long time. The jobs are still there but there aren't enough employees to do them. We've got to have more people in this country. People need to realize that. We old people are dying off, and we're dying off in large numbers. Somebody's got to replace us. And we are, And women, when I was young, women had four to six babies. That's not what they're having anymore. Pale-faced women aren't having large families because they've all got to work out of the home. If they have two, that's, that's monstrous. They're having two babies. So you cannot expect that this country to stay white. It isn't going to. It isn't going to. It's just it's so delightful to me to realize that before, not before I die, because I'm not going to live 25 more years, but before my kids die, white people, what we call white people, will be a numerical minority in the United States, just as they are all over the world. Only 15 to 18 percent of the population of the earth is classified as white. White people are scared to death because they are losing their numerical majority in this country. They can get, give that up. We have never been in the numerical majority anywhere. It's time to realize that. And we've done quite well in spite of it. Agreed. And, you know, and something that people don't talk about is the the uh, forced uh, sterilization of women of color when they are in the detention centers. So, so this the, it's very systematic of what's happening. Um, one thing that I would love to, to, for you to speak about, and it, I use it uh, often in my, my sessions, uh, in trying to help people understand how the melting pot analogy, you know, what that was about. And then you, you talk about a salad and I love that, that, that metaphor of a salad versus the melting pot. Would you share that with our audience? Yeah, yeah. I, I used to be really angry about the melting pot because you put all these different objects, get different metals in this boiling cauldron and mix them all up and melt them all down and they all come out the same. So then I said, well, we'll use salad. You want all the things in a salad to maintain their identity. No, 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 that's not what we should do. We should be talking about a stir fry. In a stir fry, you put all these different vegetables and meat if you want it in this thing, add it and put them in while it's hot. And when you take them out, they all have their same identity. They're just mellowed down so that they're easier to deal with. Instead of thinking of this country as a salad bowl, 
or a stir or a melting pot. Think of it as a stir fry, because you put all those elements into a wok, which makes it into a multicultural situation. You put them in a wok and you stir them all up, surrounded by the same kind of the same thing. They're all surrounded by this liquid. Treat them all the same. But they all maintain their identity. They maintain their flavor. They maintain their texture. They maintain their look. We need this sculpture needs to be called a stir fry instead of a melting pot or a salad bowl. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't heard you use the stir fry. I have heard you talk about the salad bowl. So, and, so thank you. I think for, it's important. Forget about, that forget about the salad. Forget about. Yeah. Forget about the salad bowl because those 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 elements don't have to change if you put them in a salad bowl. They don't. They Absolutely. aren't surrounded by something that will make them different. But when you put them in a stir fry, everybody gets surrounded by the same hot liquid, and they change because they're accepted. They are in this hot situation, so they change. But they don't lose their identity. They don't lose their flavor. In fact, they are made better by it, and they're easier to deal with because of the heat. So. Come on, people, let's call this place a, a stir fry instead of a salad bowl or a melting pot. Melting pot never works. Never works. Salad bowl, but stir fry. See, that makes really good sense to me. And and if white they people are upset, right, you say, wait a minute, you throw, yeah, you throw in some rice, so then you get your white in there. <laughs> throw, throw a little rice in. <laughs> Which is the least of the nutrition in the stir fry. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You'll, you'll be constipated, but that's all right. <laughs> you'll be full of it, but you were in the beginning. <laughs> you, see, you see, you you have to call Donald Trump dinosaur T Rump because he thinks like a dinosaur. He had T Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex, T Rex, so he's T Rump, thinks like a dinosaur. Now, you want to cut this out of this thing. He has a face that looks like a rump. He has a mouth that looks like an anal aperture. And when he opens it, he expresses excrement. <laughs> yes. Sounds like perfectly good. <laughs> he wouldn't yeah, bring it that with that, for us. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he'd look at it sometime and think, oh, maybe I better go to the middle. Doesn't really work, Donald, baby. <laughs> <laughs> if another of us refer to the Republican Party as the Republican Party, pretty soon they'll change their ways. All you have to do is have them be a Republican Party once or twice a week, and then it's like, well, we've got to change our ways or the or the name, change one or the other, because obviously you aren't about the public; you're about the pubic. And if that's what you're going to be about, then that's what we have to call you. Oh, well, anything else we should not talk about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a few more. Maybe we could do kind of rapid fire with the rest of the uh, um, audience questions. And then I have that closing uh, question for you. So um, I'm going to okay. put a couple more of the audience questions together. So somebody was asking around, if you were starting the the exercise today, would you approach or structure it in any different way based on your learnings or changes in society since you started? And have you done other forms of exercises as well? 
that's like saying just because you have something that works every time, why why don't you change it? Mm, good point. If as long as this society, yeah, as long as the society behaves the way it did in 1968, the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, he didn't die; he was killed. As long as this society maintains its attitudes and its behaviors, then that society is just as relevant today as it was then. And I wouldn't change a thing except to be a little meaner. Because we have gotten meaner over the last, since not, since, not, since Obama, Barack Obama was elected the presidency, things got worse from that moment on. I thought that was going to be the way this thing would be solved. I thought, like, like um, Whoopi Goldberg does, now I can put my suitcase down, I don't have to leave this country. And I didn't realize that there was a bunch of people that would go underground and fight him for those first eight years with the help of Mitch McConnell and then say, oh, he'll never get reelected. And then when he was reelected, they fought him even harder to make sure that he didn't succeed. He managed to exceed slightly, but not nearly enough. If they had let him do what he wanted to do for the good of this country, we would be so far ahead of where we are now. But they decided that that couldn't be allowed now, you have to realize that because of my age, when I see Mr. McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, and Mitch McConnell together talking, I am reminded, absolutely reminded, of Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd. Did you ever see Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd? Of course you didn't. You're too young. I realize that. You have to look up Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd. Get, get one of their tapes. They would come out. Edgar Bergen would come out on the stage with Charlie McCarthy in one hand and Mortimer Snurd in the other, they were puppets, hand puppets. He'd sit down, he'd put one on each knee, then he'd put his hand up their back and move their hand, their mouths with his hand. And then he'd throw his voice out of their mouth. So that it was, it was I mean, this one, Mortimer Snurd, and every time I hear Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell, I think, oh my God, it's Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd. Why doesn't somebody tell these people to stop doing this? We are being exposed to the kind of entertainment and legislation in this country that I relate to as being like Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd. And you don't realize how ugly that is until you see those two people and Edgar Bergen running their mouths. Because Donald Trump is the puppet master. And what he once said is coming out of these two mouths. And we have to realize that and we have to refuse to go along with it. What was the question? Would I do it the same? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Yeah. Yes, I would. And I would. And have you done other No, I think if you have something that works, why not keep on using it? But but I would caution yeah. every teacher who thinks I'm going to try that and I'm going to use a different thing. Some teachers have tried it using. They give each of the kids a different colored cloth to wear around their neck or on their arm, or they or they use a different you know some some other stupid thing that you can change. You can't change the color of your eyes. You can't change the color of your skin. You have to base it on a physical characteristic over which they have no control. And the first time I did it, the kids and I talked about what we would use. You can't use gender because we already are sexist in this country. We already abuse people because of their gender. You can't use skin color because we already abuse people because of that. You can't use age because we abuse people because of that. So we decided to use eye color because we don't. This isn't like Nazi Germany. Generally speaking, we don't abuse people because of the color of their eyes. So that's a physical characteristic over which you have no control. It makes perfectly good sense to use it. It does not make a perfectly good sense to base it on 
a color that you gave the kids to hold during the day because they can throw it away or they can trade or they can lose it or they can destroy it. It makes no sense. Teachers aren't thinking when they do that. And in this book about me, this guy has found all kinds of places where people tried to re reproduce the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise, but didn't want to use blue eyes and brown eyes. They want to use all these other things that can change. You can't change the color of your eyes. However, we have had people at U.S. West and U.S. West Direct coming in wearing contact lenses so that their eyes were a different color when they knew they knew that the brown eyes were going to be on the top. So we had people coming in wearing contact lenses. And I knew they were wearing contact lenses because the woman who hired me would say, that guy's wearing contact lenses. He's a bully. <laughs> and then I'd make him uncomfortable because he wasn't really a brownie. He had to act like a brownie, and he didn't know how because he was afraid he was going to get caught. And sometimes they'd get caught. And they'd, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They do it so that they won't. They know how ugly it is to be on the receiving end of that. And they'll do whatever they can to avoid having that happen to them. And that's exactly mm. what's happening in this country that's right now. Right. Yeah, powerful males know how it must feel to be on the receiving end of it. And they don't want to be on the receiving end of it. So we've got to close the Planned Parenthood clinics because our former president thought that the only thing Planned Parenthood clinics do is teach, is provide abortion services for women. That's the reason he closed the Planned Parenthood clinics. And we've got to build a wall so that those brown-skinned people don't come in here because he knows that within 25 years, his people will be a numerical minority in this country. And he's determined to keep that from happening. And that's exactly what a whole a number of pale, stale males are determined to do, determined not to be in the numerical minority in this country. There's no way they can avoid that. Make no mistake about this. There is no way they can avoid being the numerical minority because Pale-faced women aren't going to have six or eight children anymore because they can't afford to. They have to work for a living. They have to have a job outside the home. They don't want to raise six or eight kids. Two is good. We're not going to raise that many children. They're going to get used to being a numerical minority, man. You, you pale-faced males get used to being a numerical minority, and you're going to find out that it's not half bad. Because those of us who have been there aren't going to treat you the way you treated us. That's counterproductive. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. So there's uh, two more audience questions. One is from a woman of color who says, can you please ask Jane about her thoughts on amplifying the experts of color in her field, in your field? How do you go about how do you reconcile your own expertise and fit for an opportunity versus referring that opportunity to a colleague of color? You look at that last, that most recent person who has been put on the Supreme Court, and you look at what she is able to do when they are questioning her, and you look at what, how moral her statements were and how moral her judgments are going to be. You look at how much smarter she is than the tall, pale, stale males who were questioning her. You point out to, to everybody that you know, look at this person, and you go to work and get a list of all the people that you know, melanaceous and melanotic women who have succeeded and who are doing a good job and have been for some time. Make a list of them and put them on your wall or put them on your arm, arm or put them on a shirt 
and make sure that everybody realizes that these are examples of people who have succeeded in spite of all the ugly things you said to them and done to them. If these people could succeed in this environment, think of what they could have done had they not been abused because of somebody else's ignorance about skin color. Think of what we could have had in this society if we had appreciated people of all colors. When you think of, and I say to people, they say, we want you to come and talk about that. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you not have any black, what we call black women in your in your office or in your company? Well, yeah, we have several. Then talk to them. Those women have forgotten more since breakfast than I will ever learn about racism. They had no choice but to learn about it. I had a choice. I can walk away. When the exercise is over, I can go home to my husband, but he died 10 years ago, so now I have to come home to an empty house. And that, too, has been a learning experience. But black women have been having to go home to empty houses, not because their, children, their, parents, their husbands died or their sons died a natural death, but because somebody decided, some pale-faced person, decided that, that young black male had lived long enough. So not only do they have to put up with the racism, they have to put up with the loss of their husband, a son, a grandson, an uncle, a father, a grandfather, because the ugliness of judging people on the basis of your ignorance about skin color. There is not one thing that I can teach women of color. Melanaceous and melanotic women know it. And they know us. Why in the name of all this holy, we are still being this ignorant. With all the money we spend on education, why don't we start educating people instead of indoctrinating them? It wouldn't cost any more money. And in the long run, it would make us a lot of money because we wouldn't have to fight this battle anymore. It takes immense amount of time and energy to fight somebody because of your ignorance about the color of their skin or the shape of their body or the choice of their mate. God, take care of your own problems and stop creating them for somebody else. We use an immense amount of money putting others in their place. When the place they're in is where they want to be, where they have the right to be, and they ought to be thought of just as well as they think of anybody who looks like them. How dare you? How, how dare we as a society underestimate because of our ignorance about their skin color, about their sexual orientation? How where in the name of God do we get that right? I don't think that's one of the rights we have. And, I, and nobody better talk to me about white privilege ever again. Because a privilege is an unearned advantage. And none of us are white. So the white privilege in this country is really the right to be ignorant and get away with it. And that's what we are. And that's what we do. And that's what we get. We get rewarded for not challenging the ignorance. So I come along, and I look like I'm white, and then I open my mouth, and then nobody's sure. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> I've had I've had melanated, melanaceous people, melanotic, and melanaceous people say to me, Jane, are you sure your mother isn't black? And I say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she doesn't know. She's black, but she doesn't know it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's really, I, want, I did a job for, 
in a job for a college one time, and as we left, it was raining when we came out. And this young black man, melanaceous man, had been with me all the time. And we, you know, it was all anyway. And when we got ready to leave, it was after 10 o'clock, and I'd stopped talking at 8 30 or something. And he was right there by my side. We walked out in the rain and through the puddles, and he said, Miss Elliott, there's something I have to ask you. I said, What is it? If you don't mind, well, no, what's the, what do you want to know? Which of your parents is black? I said, what makes you think that? He said, because when you were talking, it was like you were talking right out of my head. And you couldn't do that unless you were black. I said, well, that's the finest compliment I've ever been paid. Thank you very much. I wish I could tell you that one of my parents was. But in fact, both of them were because we both, we all came from Africa. But I don't look black. But I have the right to think black. I have the right to think like another human being. Instead of thinking like someone who has been twisted into a new form of mentality. It isn't, it isn't, I don't have a low IQ. I just have refused to take on the ideas that were punched into my head by my father first, by my mother forever until she died, by my classmates, by my teachers, by my professors, by the minister, standing there in front of the picture of Jesus Christ with brown wavy hair, when I'm thinking, he had kinky woolly hair and feet of bronze. Why am I listening to this minister? And he'd always go into the long thing right after they passed the collection plate, because then he got paid. He'd been paid for us. So he, anyway, and I'd sit there and think, oh my God. Well, okay. <laughs> and, then I, and then when I started going to Methodist Church in Osage, I said, God, the mother, and then the minister came out and asked me to stop coming to church because the people around me didn't, didn't like the words I used in the service. I started to laugh, and I said, well, I can do that. <laughs> he said, we visited for a long time. And then he said, as he was about, can I ask a favor of you? I said, sure, I can do it. I will if I can. What do you need? He said, would you find another place to worship on Sunday morning? And I said, well, yeah, I can do that, but why would you ask me that? <laughs> he said, he said, because my parishioners don't like the words you use in the service. I said, oh, they don't like it when I refer to God as she. No, they don't. I said, well, you know, for me, God is a spirit and has neither gender nor color. We said, that's the one, not the way we want. I said, well, um, and, and we have a little Baptist church next to our house. He said, you've got a church next door. Why don't you have to start a church of your own? I said, maybe I will. Would you like to join? He says, no, I don't want to join your church. And he literally <laughs> ran out of the door and jumped into his car and took off. <laughs> I stood there laughing and laughing. I thought, Jane, this isn't funny. You've just been kicked out of the Methodist Church. I thought, well, it's kind of funny the way he did it. So you see, all you have to do is use the wrong words in the service, and it upsets all the people around you when you say, God the mother. So, and it's just, this has been, and then you go to the lawyer, and you tell him of some things he never knew, and he says, I'll look that up. Would I say that if I hadn't looked it up? So <laughs> the whole thing. See, I'm too old for this crap. That's the problem. I'm too old. And I don't I don't have to bow and scrape and apologize anymore. I've had so many death threats that like, who's gonna kill me this week? <laughs> and now when I go on a campus and there's those three young boys with the red caps on that say, Make America hate again, it says great again, but it means hate again. And they're sitting there doing this and pointing their pistols at me. I stop my remarks. I say, fellas, I know what you're trying. You're, what you're trying to do, you're talking about killing me. You might see me dead because of what I do to to decrease the level of racism in this country. That's right. You can kill me. That I won't mind. I'll be with my do- my husband and my son and my father, and that, that that won't bother me a bit. However, you need to know that if you kill me because of what I do, 
you might make a martyr out of me. You might have to spend the rest of your lives celebrating Jane Elliott once a year, Jane Elliott Day once a year. Do you want to do that? And then they all go, no, 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 we don't want to do that. I said, well, shut up and listen while I'm talking. So they shut up and listen while I'm talking. And before I finish my remark, they get over the back of their chair, run, get into the aisle, run out of the building because all the young males of color have now seen who made those remarks and it was doing, doing that threatening behavior. And they know who it was. So now these kids are suffering from indecent exposure. Make no mistake about that. They have exposed themselves to some young men who are not about to take that kind of nonsense in their presence. And I think, hey, fellas, you're in trouble, but I didn't cause your trouble. You did. And when pale, stale males complain about they're afraid of what's going to happen to them, I say, then change the way you behave now. Change the things you say and the things you do and the policies that you put forth now because those who look like me and are, are my gender and those who look like that brilliant woman who's the newest member to the Supreme Court are going to be in the majority in this country. You're going to have to learn to get along with us. You can't sell enough or buy enough guns to keep us all down. And you know, and I know, that there are more guns than there are people in the United States of America. And, and they are there because of pale, stale, male fear. It's all about fear. It's all about living with the consequences of your behavior. So change your behavior. And you might change the consequences. But if you don't change your behavior, you aren't going to like the consequences. Because once, once people of, of color realize that this is the way you're expected to act, the way we white folks have acted for the last 300 years in this country. You think that's the way we're supposed to act? I don't think so. One of the major differences between what we call white people and people of color is when white people come into a new environment, they immediately adjust the environment to fit their needs. Now think about that. Think about what we did to Hawaii. Here are these people in grass skirts and running around in that heat and knew exactly how to be comfortable and missionaries went in and made them put on all kinds of clothing so that the missionaries wouldn't be tempted, okay? When people of color come into a new environment, they immediately adjust their needs to fit the environment. So people come here, people of color from a different country, and they immediately become as Americanized as they possibly can. And that's another thing we have to deal with. We have to stop calling this country America. America is everything from the northernmost point of Canada to the southernmost point of South America. All the citizens in all those countries are Americans. The people in this country, these 48 contiguous states, Alaska, Hawaii, and the islands off the southeast coast of the United States are United States of America. We live in the United States of America. So we've got to start calling ourselves U.S. citizens or just U.S., because U.S. spells the word us. We've got to stop calling ourselves Americans and call ourselves citizens of the United States of America. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes, I understand. See, it, it's, it's the simple things that yes. if we'd stop doing yeah, them, language. Um, we would stop, yeah, we wouldn't be so, look so arrogant. We say, I'm an American, and I think, no, you aren't. You're a United States citizen. You are a citizen of the United States of America. And the most important word in that title is United. So we've got to start using the word the United States of America instead of America. 
And I didn't know that until my dad, until the second, end of the Second World War. Soldiers who had fought in that war came back to see my dad. And he'd say, well, when you Americans got over there, and they'd say, wait a minute, Lloyd, you need to understand. We weren't the only Americans over there. Well, what do you mean? Well, the people from Mexico and from Argentina and all those other countries, they were Americans too, but we're the only one in the group that calls ourselves Americans. People in, in, in Argentina call themselves Argenti Argentinians. People in Mexico call themselves Mexicans. They don't call themselves Americans. People in Canada call themselves Canadians. Only in the United States of America do we have the arrogance to say we're all Americans. That makes sense to you? Great point. See, we Great have, point. Yeah, we, yep, we have, yep, we have been, we have been simply molded into this, this form. That, that makes us different. Well, you can't be different if you're admitting that you're just an American. Because you're a United States of American citizen. You're not just citizens of America. You're citizens of the United States of America. It's not the same as Canada. It's not the same as Mexico. It's not the same as Chile. It's not the same as Argentina. It's the United States. We have, you know, this is, these differences, we're very casual and we're very arrogant. We need to either stop one or the other. <laughs> okay. Yeah. One more audience question and then the wrap-up question. So, uh, this is kind of like, like throw us a rope here. Will we, I mean, you've been doing, you've been doing this work for over 50 years. And so this question is coming from, uh, you know, probably needs a little bit of pep talk, you know, and perseverance and persistence and, and staying consistent in the work. But the person is asking, will we ever make real progress? It just feels like there's so much systemic stuff that needs to change. We were making progress until, and when Barack Obama was elected, I thought, now we're okay. But we had ignored Donosaurus T. Rump. We had ignored him when he was on The Millionaire, whatever that program that he was on. We had failed to recognize how really we are surrounded by racism. And even now, you hear people say, this isn't a racist country. We don't have racism in the United States, and that is invariably said by a white person, what we call a white person. People yeah. of color know we have racism. They won't deny it. They know it's there, and they know they have to know it, and they have to realize it, and they have to act against it or act with it in order to stay alive. So what we have to do is refuse to listen to those who would divide us. We have to refuse to accept what the evangelical Christians are doing right now. We have to get that woman's book. What's her name? Athena Butler's book, White Evangelical Racism. We have to read it. We have to absorb what she's saying, and then we have to go out of our homes or in our homes or wherever we are exposed to other people and say, wait a minute, do you not realize that this is what is happening here? Do you not realize that this is what is going on? We've got to make people aware of what's happening if we want to preserve this democracy. I think a democracy is a wonderful thing we have enjoyed so far. I don't want to lose it. But if we don't start refusing to put prayer in the schools, refusing to put under God every place we can, refusing to teach Christianity as if that's the only religion that ever mattered, if we don't stop mislabeling people and things and ideas, we're in big trouble. We can stop that. We can refuse to go along. 
The only thing necessary for the perpetuation of evil is for good people to do nothing. And as long as we do nothing, that's how long the demagogues can have their way. Every one of us has to look at that list of uh, commitments to combat racism. Choose one this week. Do it for a month. Write notes to yourself after it's done. Then choose the next one and do that for a month. Write notes to yourself after it's done. And you'll find out if you do those things, you will change the kind of people that you are around. Because if you do those things, the racists around you will drop away. They won't have anything to do with you. Because you will be somebody who is behaving in a way that is foreign to them and that is negative as far as they're concerned. Because in order to be, for me to be accepted in Osage, Iowa, <laughs> or in Riceville, Iowa, I have to talk like a racist. And I'm not going to do that. And I have to bite my tongue when somebody makes a racist statement. And I have to say, mm-hmm, oh, that's, mm-hmm, yeah. No, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. So I stay out of town. And my husband owned a grocery store in town. And he would say to me, Jane, if there's anything you want from the store, you call and I'll bring it home. And I'd say, well, honey, I get, no, you call and I'll bring it home. And for a long time, I thought, well, he's doing that just to keep me from having to drive to town. And then I realized, oh, my God, he's doing that so people in Osage won't see who he's married to. And that's exactly what he was doing. He didn't want people to know that he was married to, the, to what is called Mitchell County's only N-word lover. And that's what I am. And I understand that. And when people say to me, you're nothing but an N-word lover, I say, thank you very much. Better a lover than a hater. Give me a choice. I'd rather be a lover than a hater anyway. God says God is love. Doesn't say God is hate. You know, That's yeah, right. I can give up. I can give up the method. Yeah, I can give up the Methodist church, but I can't give up the method. And I can't get up what I was taught in the Bible. Can't do it. There's no way. So yeah, take your church and Wonder where the sun doesn't shine. Right now, they've had to, they sold the church and the parsonage because they don't have enough members and they've moved into the Masonic Lodge for church on Sunday. <laughs> that has nothing to do with me, but my father would say, What goes around comes around. Every time I hear about the, the, seven, the seven of them going into the Masonic temple and church, and it's coming around. It's coming. That's right. See, that's right. It is. And that and see, that's what white people fear. What goes around comes around. And they're afraid that it's gonna come around. But my kids, the people who were on the bottom the first day wouldn't abuse the people who had been on the top the first day. When those people got on the top, they we have to remember people of color don't want to get even, they want to get equity. They don't want to get equal because we aren't all equal. I'll never be equal to anybody else on earth. Everybody's taller than I am and younger than I am and smarter than I am and quicker than I am. However, I don't have to be equal to demand equity. I want equitable treatment under the law and I want it from now until the day I die. And I want that for everybody else. Take your equality and shove it. We can't be equal. Can't happen. We aren't. Men men will never be equal to women. That's just the way it is. Okay, is what's your what is that your last question? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to make a little side note of something that you've shared in other interviews where it, you were talking about the last line of the Star Spangled Banner. That's what this this response you just shared reminded me of land of the free and home of the brave. Uh, can you talk about those concepts and how it relates to racism and kind of our call to action, because to me, it leads to that final question I want to ask you, which is how do we communicate 
like we give a damn. And to your point, how do we communicate to show that we give a damn? <laughs> yeah, and don't, talking about ain't going to do it. You have to, by your actions, indicate that you will not tolerate. You will, Ellie Wiesel said, you must not tolerate the intolerable. If it's intolerable for another person, it must be intolerable for you. So when you hear someone making making racist remarks or you see someone establishing racist racist legislation or racist practices, it is incumbent upon you as a member of the human race to go to that person or to that organization and say, not in my moment, not in my lifetime and not in my community. This I will not tolerate. I will make your life miserable. If this is what you're going to do with your with your clothing store, if this is how you're going to feed people, you only want a certain kind of people in your clothing store. I will be so ugly where you are concerned that you will lose all of your business, not just those the business of those who don't look like you, but pretty soon everybody will be afraid to come in here. And I learned that from Anna Mae Williams, who is a melanaceous woman who is older than I am, lived in Waterloo, Iowa, when my husband and I lived there. He was running a store for National Tea, National Tea Company. National Tea was headquarters out of somewhere around Chicago, Naperville, I think. And he was allowed to have one black employee. He was in the black section of Waterloo. He was in the north end of Waterloo. He had the only grocery store in the black section of Waterloo. His one black employee, Jim Jackson, quit to go to college. So my husband tried to find another black employee. couldn't find one. Anna Mae Weems came to my husband and said, Daryl, we're going to punk dip. We're going to pick at your store. He said, why would you do that? He said, she said, because you don't have a black employee. He said, find me a black employee. She said, no, I want to pick at your store. We're going to pick at your store, Daryl. He said, well, there's nothing I can do about it. She said, that's right. You can't do anything about it. So she picketed his store over the the 4th of July weekend. It wasn't very successful because only about a dozen people came out and walked up and down in front of the store. But it was enough to tell the people who owned the National Tea Company that they couldn't depend on the black population in Waterloo, Iowa, to support that store as long as they continue to behave in a racist way. So they closed the store. They moved it across town, across the river on the west side, built this great, big, beautiful new store, stopped it. Daryl said, this isn't going to work. Those people aren't going to come over here. Many of them don't have cars. Where are they going to get their food? They said they'll have to find someplace else or they'll go across the river. They couldn't go. They couldn't afford to go across the river. And the rest of the people on the west side didn't want them there. They didn't come back to his store. They fired Daryl because the store was going down. Within two years, the store was closed and has never been reopened. Anna Mae Williams caused that to happen. And Daryl said she did the right thing. Jane, she did the right thing. I said, yes, she did the right thing. But for the love of God, why didn't National Tea do the right thing? Then we found out later that most of all of National Teas closed because they were all equally racist in their behaviors and people of color decided they didn't have to put up with that. Anna Mae Weems had a terrific attitude <laughs> of one person, but she got national tea closed in Waterloo and she got national teas closed all over the state. Now, if you think one person can't make a difference, you want to be careful who that one person is. You and you pull something racist on an Anna Mae Weems and you will live to regret it for as long as you live. And that is the fear that Melanie men live with right now. Because practically every one of us has pulled something ugly, something of a racist, in a racist way, on someone of color, and sometimes on large groups of people of color, like children in elementary schools who are put in that school across the tracks 
and who don't get the best teachers, and whose rooms are too full of too many children, and who are treated badly in the classroom because the teachers are ignorant about race. That's all right. They're just children of color. We don't have to worry about them. They weren't going to amount to anything anyway. That's the kind of statement that I've heard as a teacher all over the country. So it's, we're going to have to learn. If you're going to have those, if, that's, if those are your attitudes, keep your mouth shut. If those are your attitudes, don't express them in how you run the school and don't express them in the people you hire. And don't express them in asking the taxpayers to help you pay for your racism. Because eventually some fool like me is going to come along and say, look at here, look what's happening in this school. And this is happening because you've got some ignorant people running this show. And you're, you're paying these ignorant people a lot of money for running this show. You want to spend, spend less money? Refuse to go to this school. Start your own little school. You can't do any worse with these kids than these white teachers, so-called white teachers, are doing this so-called black kids. These black, black people, black teachers, whether or not they have a degree, a degree, at least they have enough sense and sensitivity to treat those children like human beings who deserve the same kind of treatment that every other human being does. And Anna Williams proved to me that one person can make a difference, and she's had, and she's described in this book, um, Shades of Brown. And some of the stuff that's in there, I didn't know. We, we were involved in it, and I didn't know how absolutely fantastic that woman was. And still, she's still alive. In fact, I saw her granddaughter. I gave a speech someplace in Iowa not too long ago. And this young woman came up and said, you remember Anime Weems? I said, well, yeah, I sure do. You don't forget Anime Weems. She said, that's my grandmother. I said, you lucky, lucky person. You tell your grandmother how pleased I am to have met you. You tell your grandmother that Daryl Elliott's wife said, thank you very much. Because she didn't do Daryl a favor, but she did our family a favor because she taught us an awful lot about the power of one. Beautiful. Sorry, we had to keep stop the recording because there was a change in one of your audio devices. A new recording will start immediately. Well, my ear pods have gone out. So can we still go on? <laughs> I still can hear you. Yes, yes. So at this point, that's all of my questions. Is I there, can't hear you now uh, because these, are, these have gone out. Is there, a, is there a speaker? You'll have you to write it to me. Send it to me. Send me an email. Will do. <laughs> Sorry Thank about you. That. <laughs> Thank you. We talked too long, that's all. Two hours. We talked. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Send me an email and I'll answer your last question. All right. You got it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. If you had done this, if you had done this, this is your brown finger. This is, this finger is the largest group of human beings on the face of the earth. This is your white finger. This is your black finger. This is your yellow, your red finger. None of these fingers are real. This is your brown finger. This represents the brown group. That's all of us. Your middle finger. Your middle finger. Middle oh. finger. Not this one. <laughs> this one. Got it. <laughs> this is the brown finger. 
Okay, so what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.